So did you see in the kids' bulletin this morning, there was a question in there. Do you, have you, do you guys know anybody that's just all about themselves? And they, when you talk to them, they talk like, me, 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 I, 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 you know. Do you know the kind of person I mean? Yeah, maybe sort of a little. Well, you, I know you do, because you just read a book, that Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, right? Uh, yeah, Veruca Salt, right? Anybody know the Willy Wonka story out there, right? So, um, you know, what were the kids like in that book? They were all about them. So do you want to talk into the microphone? So that you... No, you don't want to do that? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the kids in there were all wrapped up in themselves. Veruca Salt, I want it, I want it now, right? You know, and to some extent, you know, we sort of expect this with some kids, right? But what about, what do you think would happen if we lived in a world where adults were like that too? Ooh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like it would be a very fun place, really, does it? You know, like, you know, what if you went to mom and said, Mom, I'm hungry, and she said, yeah, but I've been working all day. Doesn't anybody appreciate all the things that I do around here? <laughs> you know, maybe you caught when we were reading our scripture, there's a time coming when... Adults are going to be like that, or at least our world is going to seem like that, right? And that's what I want to talk to the big people about today. So I have another kind of challenging message. See what you guys can get out of this one, though. It's going to be a tough one again, I think. All right, why don't we get back to our seats, and I can... <laughs> so, Lord, may the, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Amen. So, you know, I begin to wonder sometimes if we already live in that world of offense, you know, just to take a drive down any old highway one day and see how your uh, fellow countrymen interact with you on there. I, I kind of jestingly, jokingly say that the better a driver you are, the more fingers they use when they wave at you, right? But... <laughs> When did it get that way, though? And that's kind of my question. You know, last week, um, I, I gave a sermon called The Bait of Satan. And in there, I said that if we live in offense, we basically put Satan in the driver's seat of our hearts. And that once he's there, we're kind of trapped doing the work for him. But what is the number one Christian job? You know, like, you've all seen perhaps the cartoons, the memes that are circulating on the internet if you're a younger person. You know, the you had one job to do, right? And then it's always, they goofed it up somehow, right? Um, as Christians, we have one job to do. That job is to love our neighbors. It's to love other people. It doesn't say in there, you know, unless they're different than you, you know, unless your neighbor's a Mexican, you know, it doesn't say that. It says, love your neighbor. It doesn't say, unless your neighbor is difficult to get along with. It doesn't even say, yeah, you don't have to do that if he's offensive or nasty even. 
We have one job to do, love our neighbors. Now, I don't want to be kind of the Monday morning quarterback, and I can't really look back fairly on the 21st, I'm sorry, the 20th century and judge it with 21st century eyes or the past. You know, and I kind of, it kind of drives me nuts when people do this because it's sort of like if I look back at my 13-year-old self and judge me by adult standards and then I'm disappointed because I never measure up, right? You know, so yeah, there are things that you wonder how somebody could have been so blind. And again, the 20th century was filled with lessons like that. And you've also heard it said that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it, right? So I want to begin in 1900 with German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who's a likely source to to talk about in church. Nietzsche was an atheist. He was an atheist because he said that science proved that he doesn't need God and that God was an an old-fashioned myth. But Nietzsche reached down inside himself and asked a question that was kind of interesting, and it went like this. If it's only atheism, then, how can it replace the church? If God is dead, then what? And Nietzsche actually concluded that if God is dead society is going to devolve into nihilistic chaos with unimaginable psychological problems and ultimately mass murder. It didn't take more than 30 years beyond Nietzsche's prophecy and Adolf Hitler would come to power in the Third Reich in Nietzsche's own homeland. You know, and I see, and we can look back on the atrocities of World War II and You know, we ask, what can we learn? And, you know, I, for one, do not want a remedial lesson on Nazism, so I want to get this one right. Um, How did this happen? How did it happen that people that have the discipline of soldiers would hunt down women and children and kill innocent civilians? What's the honor in that? And, And I look back, and I said that in my mind, well, I wouldn't have done that. But what have I? And this is our question today. Because we are living in a time when offense is very prevalent. And how do we speak out against it? How do we overcome it? You know, Germany was a devoutly Christian nation, and yet still. And last week, I suggested that, you know, if we're going to compare our struggles if we're going to compare our offenses, you know, what we tend to do is find somebody that has it easier than us and say, see that, that person hasn't had to deal with the things that I've had to deal with. And I suggested that we go the other way around. And today I have a story that takes us the other way around. I got to work with an elderly man in a congregation that we used to attend. His name was Werner. Werner was a Norwegian boy when the Germans landed on Norway's shore in the spring of 1940. Norway, by the way, was a small country. It was regarded kind of as the hillbillies of Europe by the Germans. But nonetheless, Norway would actually be the first place to successfully repel Nazism 
after it gained a foothold, if only for a little while. So the Germans had an especially, especially cruel, developed an especially cruel hatred for the Norwegians. And they came to Werner's village and they gathered everybody in the square and they picked out the local important people, the mayor and other town officials and leaders, the banker, and the local minister who was Werner's father. And they put a bullet through their head at point-blank range in front of the town to establish their authority. This is not that long ago in the general scheme of things. And it left Werner wondering for the rest of his life How would the Lord deal with me? How can I forgive this? And yet I need the Lord to deal with me because once that happened, Werner became a diehard member of the Norwegian underground. And primarily what the Norwegian underground did was to pursue other Norwegians that helped the Nazi cause. So if we're going to compare offenses, maybe we should compare that one. That's unimaginable to me. You know, in the last, when Werner and I got to know each other, Werner was very hung up on this because he realized that we pray every Sunday in church, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And he wondered, as he had held 80 years of bitterness against the Nazis, whether or not God would forgive him for the things that he did in resistance to Nazism. You know, and I said to Werner eventually uh, in our conversation this, envision the man that did that. When you look at him and you look back, what do you think? Is it a mature man or is it a child? And Werner said, looking back on it, he looked like a 13-year-old boy. And I said, well, considering that, can you now maybe forgive that Nazism was a spell that overcame the youth, the young people of Germany? And Werner thought about it, and he said that it might make it a little easier to forgive, and I believe that eventually he did do. But what happened in the first place that won and turned the hearts of people to Hitler? Because remember now, Hitler actually won an election under a constitution modeled after our own. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the German people were so supported in their offense and they became self-righteously arrogant He said that Nazism then became something that couldn't be educated out of the people. You couldn't teach people that there was a better way because they were sure they were right in their anger. And he said you couldn't shame people out of it because they were sure they were right to be angry. The result was that Satan was put in charge of the hearts of a country at whole, as a whole. You see, the state 
is merely the desires of all of us combined. And the Nazis later at Nuremberg, after the war, would argue that, hey, you know, we only did what the people wanted us to do. Where was God when this happened? And I think Romans 1.24 gives us an answer to this. God turns people, turns the godless over to their offense and temptation. This is this scandalon word again in Greek. It is this bait in the trap. If we don't follow God, if we don't turn our hearts to God, we get turned over to be trapped, to do Satan's will. And I can almost hear Bonhoeffer reading the list that we heard from 2 Timothy 2.3. The people will become lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, consider nothing as sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving, slander one another, have no self-control, become unusually cruel, have no interest in what is good, betray friends. They'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and yet they'll have a form of religion. That means they'll come here, but it's not going to sink in. It's not going to mean anything. They'll develop a fake faith that's that depraves their mind, and they won't progress and fail miserably. And now I wonder, does this sound like the land that we're living in now? I mean, it's not quite that dire, I don't think. But don't we encourage people in their offense? This is not the right way. The Bible, by the way, gives repeated examples of nations that fall under judgment, and they all kind of come down to this same pattern. It's the same pattern that brought Hitler to Germany. Corrupt rulers, you see, I'm sorry, usurp freedom and private property and money. The people become increasingly immoral. There seems to be a trend as you read through the Bible on this, you know, Baal worship, that is, sacrifice the kids. Then, then Ishtar and the, the sex cult comes to town. And it's all about pleasure. And then the money collapses and things get really bad. And the country falls apart. And I pray that we're not headed down that road. But now, I have a few news stories from this last week, and I've had to actually change the direction I wanted to go in light of these things. One is from the Super Bowl, and it was about Damar Hamlin. Damar was the young man from Buffalo that collapsed on the field earlier this year, and there was a great prayer rally around him, and it seemed like it brought prayer back to football and back to the public stage, and I thought it was a real blessing, and I think it is. But yet, did you catch this? DeMar was at the Super Bowl, and he wore a jacket that said, praise God on it. But according to some announcer, Christians were offended by DeMar's jacket. Now, I want to ask, what Christians? 
They didn't poll me. You know, but the news media does this to us, I think, all the time. There's nothing wrong with Christians as a whole. And by the way, if you're offended by a jacket, see me after the service, okay? Because <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about here. You know, this is the most opposite reaction Christians are expected to have, isn't it? We're to love the man, not be offended at his clothing. Whenever politicians or the media, whatever they're saying, you know, and and I know we can't totally ignore the news, but think on the news, dig deeper on it, and pray. Get to know your neighbor for real. Get to know your neighbor anyway. Get to know your Muslim neighbor. Become friends with that person. Get to know your neighbor that you think wears scanty clothing. Get to know your neighbor with a tattoo. Get to know your gay neighbor. Whatever your neighbor's situation, you are called to love your neighbor. That's it. Do that one well. And it seems to me that when Jesus walked the earth, he formed a circle of people around him that included tax collectors, and the lepers, and, you know, in other words, kind of the homeless of the day, the people that we tend to look down on, or at least I hope that we don't, but our society sort of tends to do. Don't pick up offense. This only aids the enemy. So I do believe we, the church, are going to become the target of this offense, ultimately. So we need to prepare our hearts. We need to turn to God and pray for the restoration of our land. We win this war, and we ultimately will win this war, but we win it when we trust God. We win it when we love our neighbor. And isn't it interesting As I said, I needed to rewrite some of my message here. By the way, do you know, um, we're now in like day 12, I think, of a revival going on at Asbury College in western Kentucky. And it seems now to be spreading to neighboring colleges. And it was interesting to me um, that this revival would break out in a generation that's so known for its being easily offended. Asbury theology professor Dr. Thomas McCall described what was going on. He said that, and this is his quote, we are experiencing an inexpressibly deep and tangible sense of peace, wholeness, holiness, belonging, love, and hope. That's why this service continues to go, McCall said. Well, how about this? A tangible peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. A sense of belonging for a generation experiencing epidemics of loneliness and isolation. A focus on participatory adoration of God for an age of digital distraction. Authentic hope for a generation marked by depression Now, people from everywhere are flocking to see what's going on. You know why? Because they're hungry for that. 
they're hungry for what these kids are getting. The Lord is still at work in the soft hearts in our land. Let's spread that love. And again, you have heard it said from here, Jesus loves you, and so do I. And that love needs to be passed along to our world.